We, last week we touched on Ephesians 1, 15 to 16, which I entitled, Thanks to God. That is, in Paul giving thanks to God for the saints' faith in the Lord Jesus at Ephesus and for their love toward all the saints, which was reported by Paul, or reported to Paul, rather. And this was the reason why Paul didn't stop giving thanks to God. I mentioned there were a couple of strange things about that text. Namely, number one, that the saints' faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the saints is really something that should be expected. Uh, It should be a given for believers. After all, we are saved by grace through Faith, Ephesians 2.8.9 says. If someone does not have faith in Christ, that is, the kind of faith in Christ which is granted of God, that will remain in Christ and produces good works as the fruit of that faith, that person does not belong to Christ. Faith in Christ is a given for the Christian. But we did discover that there is such a thing as little faith and great faith in the sphere of believers. We first examine Peter in Matthew 14, 22 to 33, walking on the water with Jesus, who in the end had little faith, according to Jesus. Whereas Matthew 15, 21 to 28, the Canaanite woman, After Jesus seemingly denied her daughter healing three times from being severely oppressed by a demon, showed she had great faith, according to Jesus. Seeing the bigger picture of Jesus' illustration, not doubting him, his ability or his willingness to heal her daughter, and as a a result of her faith, grants her request. And related to this faith that is to be expected of believers is the Ephesian church's love for all the saints. This is to be expected of believers as well. We look briefly at a couple of verses, including 1 John 4, uh, 7-8, which says, Beloved, let us love one another that is, the saints, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Which is to say, if we don't love brothers and sisters in Christ, that person does not know God. Love for the saints is a given for the Christian. But we also discovered that within the sphere of believers, there is such a thing as little love and great love. We poured over Luke 7, 41 to 50, where we saw Simon, or Peter, who, as Jesus implied, was forgiven little, and so as a result, loved little in response to Jesus' arrival. Whereas the woman, quote, whose sins were many, was forgiven much, and as a result, loved much. Uh, in showering Jesus with love and appreciation. 
You know, the second main strange thing about our text last week was in the very statement itself, in Paul giving thanks to God for the saints' faith and love. And why would Paul thank God for the saints' faith? This was that tension I mentioned that we find throughout Scripture as it relates to God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. A couple more examples in Scripture that we looked at to illustrate this tension further were Romans 8.30 where all those predestined by God are all those glorified by Him who, who is responsible for men receiving Christ if from predestination to glorification it's all God. Or regarding sanctification in Philippians 2, 12-13, where we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Who is responsible for us working out our salvation? You know, if we answered either or, or even both, uh, it would be an inaccurate answer. And I concluded, of which I believe Scripture would attest to, that, quote, it is really all of God. He gets all the glory, yet we play a part, but not to the point where we can boast of anything in and of ourselves. We can only truly take credit for our weaknesses and our faults, our sin. In conclusion, last week, Paul to the saints at Ephesus glorifies God in giving thanks to him in what he is doing in and through the saints at Ephesus, commending their implied growing faith in Jesus Christ and their growing in love for all the saints. something we ourselves ought to be doing by immersing ourselves in the Word of God as faith and by implication, good works or loved, love expressed, quote, in deed and truth as the fruit of that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. It's Romans ten seventeen. Now, not only did Paul cease, not cease to give thanks to God for their growing faith in the Lord Jesus and their growing love toward all the saints, Paul remembered them in his prayers. We're going to be focusing on the content of Paul's prayer to the Ephesian, or for the Ephesian church, as I uh, stated in the last message, beginning in verse 7 through 19 today. So if you want to turn there to Ephesians 1, if you're not, um, and I'm going to read starting from verse 15 for context. I'll give you a moment. Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. It states this, For this reason... 
Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Now, Paul's prayer in verses 17 through 19 could be summed up as a prayer that they might know God more intimately that they might grow in the knowledge of the hope of God. What I'm entitling this message today. Now, breaking down Paul's prayer for the uh, Ephesian church further into specifics, in, in what ways does he want the Ephesian church to know God more intimately? In knowing the hope of God. One, he desires them to grow in the knowledge of the hope of God's calling, verse 18. And two, he desires that they know the riches of God's inheritance in the saints, verse 18. And three, he desires them to understand the greatness of God's power towards his children, verse 19. Uh, similar to what we saw in the message last time, we can all, who are truly born again, testify to a knowledge of God, at least to some degree. As Paul, Paul also suggests in 1 Corinthians 2, where verse 11 to 12 states, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except, the, except uh, the Spirit of God. Now we have not, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now, the word might in verse 12 is not in the Greek, but translated, translators have inserted might for clarification for the English-speaking world. Other, other translations add the word may or can, but regardless, the, the ability is there by means of the Holy Spirit to understand the things freely given to us by God. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is a knowledge of our relationship to God that the Holy Spirit imparts to believers. So there is at least a measure of the knowledge of God that all believers receive and have now because of the Holy Spirit that resides in them. But there's also a growing in the knowledge of Christ that is expected of believers as well. 
as, as God, God's Word commands in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This implies that the saints have, by the Spirit of God, obtained grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the saints are also to grow in these things. So, looking at the greater context of Scripture, I believe that is the heart of Paul's prayer to God for the Ephesian church when he prays, quote, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. It's not that they have zero knowledge of Him. It's that He wants them to grow in the knowledge of Him, to grow in the hope of God. But one stark difference in our text in Ephesians here is that Paul, by the Holy Spirit, exclusively prays that the Father grants it. That the Father grants this. It must start with, quote, the Father of glory, unquote, granting the spirit of wisdom and the knowledge of Him. It must start with the Father giving it to them. This is a work upon the saint's heart and mind by God through the Holy Spirit. And it's imperative that He grants this if we are to grow in the knowledge of God and therefore the hope of God. This is where the Ephesian church was lacking. In the hope of God. Or expectation, which is what the Greek term for hope can also mean, of God's calling, inheritance, and power. Not a hope he is who he says he is slash unsure type of hope, but a growing in expectation that he is who he is. And will do what he says he will do. Type hope. They were lacking in this area. Why do I say that? Paul, by the Holy Spirit, in 1 Corinthians 13, you don't have to turn there, the short and famous love chapter, says in the last verse, verse 13, quote, So now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. Now, contextually, Paul is talking about some gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecies, tongues, knowledge, eventually coming to an end. But not at the closing of the canon of Scripture, as some attest to, when the Bible was final finalized with the book of Revelation, but what the, context, what the context suggests when we see Jesus face to face. That's when the gifts will cease. But these things abide or stay, remain. Faith, hope, 
and love. Now, if you remember in the last message I did, as stated earlier this morning, Paul gave thanks to God for what again? He gave thanks for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints, for their growing in such things. Of the three things that remain, however, Paul left out hope for the Ephesian church. And the means of growing in the hope of God, that sure hope, is growing in the knowledge of Him and what He has done and is doing. This comes by prayer and as the Father of glory sees fit, He gives them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, verse 17. In what ways is Paul praying that the Ephesian church grows in the knowledge of God? As stated, the first prayer is that they grow in the hope of his calling. Let's read uh, Ephesians 16 through 18a. Just the first part of verse 18. So verse 16, we're just going to read this again. Just taking a little chunk out this time. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And here's our text. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. If the Father is called one to himself through Christ, as he did the Ephesian church, we have a most sure hope. One of the most hopeful verses as it pertains to his calling that has been shared previously in in Romans 8.30 and just briefly uh, earlier this morning states, And those whom he predestined, he also called... And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you are the called of God, that is in the context of the elect of God, not the general call of all lost men uh, to repentance and faith in Christ, you were predestined. Before the foundation of the world. To be justified. And therefore glorified. This was all his doing. Not your doing. If it was your doing. You would do well to doubt yourself. For you have zero hope. In and of yourself. According to scripture. God's calling man man, is an ironclad, sure hope of God that was birthed in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. And it is a work of God himself through the Spirit 
of wisdom and revelation who enlightens the eyes of the heart to see such things in His Word that are then clear as day. What will such a revelation of salvation being a work of God from start to finish do for the people of God who are laden with discouragement and weariness? There are many other verses pertaining to the hope of His calling, including 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. That's towards the back of the Bible, a few pages, six or so pages. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. I'll give you guys a couple moments. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Regarding the hope of his calling states this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now in the context of the pre-destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., uh, but of which in principle surely applies to the saints today. He who calls the saints is faithful. To do what? To sanctify you completely, setting you apart, to keep the, quote, whole spirit and soul and body blameless. Unquote. He will surely do it. When God, by His grace alone, calls you to turn from sin and self-righteousness and turn to Christ alone, by faith alone, His calling, uh, His calling in Christ obeyed is a sure hope we can rest in uh, when the day of evil comes. For he will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5, and he will by no means cast you out, John 6, 37. The second prayer of Paul, or his next desire for the Ephesian, Ephesian church to grow in, or know more intimately of God, is the Father's inheritance in the saints. I'm going to just read the whole of verse 18 back in Ephesians 1, just for context. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
You know, a few messages back in Ephesians 1, 11 to 14, we discussed our inheritance as believers, or kleronomia, that's the Greek term, uh, our inheritance in Christ. We talked about it quite a bit. In one sense, we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11, God having predestined this. And in another sense, we have yet to acquire possession of it, verse 14. The Holy Spirit given to believers as the guarantee, the down payment or earnest of that inheritance. We also talked about what that inheritance is exactly, and we concluded that it is the third tense of our salvation. And just for a quick reminder, the first tense of our salvation being freedom from the guilt of sin in our having been justified, declared righteous before God by faith alone in Christ alone. The second tense being freed from the power of sin, uh, where sin no longer has dominion over us in the, quote, working out our salvation with fear and trembling now, in our sanctification. And the third tense, our glorification, when, when we will be finally freed from the presence of sin, when we see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. But I want us to notice something important here in our text in verse 18 as opposed to verse 11. Paul is praying that the, quote, spirit of wisdom and revelation, unquote, would reveal to the Ephesian church what the riches of the Father's glorious inheritance is, which is, quote, in the saints. This is not talking about our inheritance per se though it is connected to our inheritance to a degree, which I think we'll see shortly. This is talking about the, quote, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glories, inheritance, which is in the saints. You know, does this sound foreign to you, that God receives an inheritance in the saints? Deuteronomy 32.9 says, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. And heritage can be rightfully translated inheritance there, as many versions uh, do. Deuteronomy 9.29 says this, it says, quote, For they are your people and your heritage, or your inheritance, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched hand. In Jeremiah 10, 16, it says, Not like these, and he's talking about idols, if we look a little bit further back in verses 14 and 15, not like these is he, God, who is the portion of Jacob. And Jacob is synonymous with Israel. For he... God is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. It's clear that 
his people, the Israel of God, as Galatians 6.16 calls those who are new creations in Christ, in the context of Ephesians 1.18, they are his inheritance. God is our inheritance. We are his. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened to this fact, to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul knew something of what the riches of his his glorious inheritance in the saints was. He knew something of this. Why? Because how could he pray something like that for the saints at Ephesus if he didn't know of it or experience it, this kind of knowledge of God himself? You ask, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints exactly? And I think we can get somewhat of a picture of this in John 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer to the Father. If you want to turn there, John 17, so that's towards the front of the Bible, maybe about 50 or so pages back. John 17. So John 17, 20 through 24 says this. I do not ask for these only. He's talking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and they and and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now beyond this, we would do well to pray for one another on these ends. To know more intimately what, quote, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints are. To pray and meditate on such glorious verses as John 17. Now the third prayer of Paul, or his next desire for the Ephesian church uh, to grow in, or know more intimately of God, is what the, quote, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe is. 
And we're going to wait for the next time to dig into this portion of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. But suffice it to say for now, in conclusion, Sorry. <clears throat> Do what we may to encourage those whose hope is waning. Whether it's because of Satan wearing down the saints with persecution or whether it's uh, someone grieving over a sin they have committed or whether it's strained relationships, etc., it will ultimately be the Father of glory giving them, quote, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, enlightening the eyes of their heart that, that will give them the hope of God. Is this the prayer of, the, of this congregation for the saints? That we may grow in the knowledge of God. It's a good thing to pray for healing and safe travels and no pain for a procedure that you may undergo and such the like. But really, at the heart of such prayers is the need to know God more as Christians. We will have trials in this life that we will not escape. And it will... Do us well to know God more intimately. And therefore, the hope of God within such trials. To bear such trials with joy. This all starts with knowing Christ. Do you know Him? I didn't ask if you know about Him. You know, there are many that the world would deem as a good person that really are lost in God's sight, who are on their way to hell, that know about Him. There are those that know about Him, who even claim to do good works in Jesus' name, of which He will say to them at the judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As Matthew 7, 21 to 23 states. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 states of those who are truly his own. Quote, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith in who? Jesus Christ, who was without sin, who fulfilled the law of God perfectly in your stead, who bore the wrath of God on the cross for your sin, in your stead, who then died and was buried 
Three days later, he rose again from the grave in your stead, that you may be declared righteous in God's sight. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, quote, He, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus says, Now of the lost and weary, quote, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Unquote. Turn from sin and self-reliance to faith in Christ and enter his rest. Let's pray.